Welcome to The Conscious Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Alex Raymond. This is the only podcast that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. Now, I know that being an entrepreneur is a long journey and it can be really tough. So on this show, we won't be sharing generic hero stories or talking about mythical unicorns. Instead, we'll get straight to the heart of what matters most, giving you tools and resources to grow, thrive, and succeed as an entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with incredible founders, CEOs, coaches, and authors to help you be more resilient and inspired as you build the business of your dreams. I got to admit, this is a bit of a personal one. Today, I talk with Radir Christel, who had an amazing career as a lawyer before becoming a personal and transformation coach for companies and entrepreneurs. Today, we get deep into his personal story and the transitions that happened in his life. You'll learn how he is taking a completely different approach to business and relationships and how this has allowed him to double his company's revenue for four years in a row. We also talk in detail about the Enneagram and how this is an incredible tool for building self-awareness and improving relationships. Radir also does an impromptu coaching session with me on my deepest fears and motivations. And finally, you'll learn about how to go big with ease and overcome the electric fences that are holding you back in life. I hope you enjoy this really special episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. Hey, great. Radir Christel, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining The Conscious Entrepreneur. Hey, Alex. Welcome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate being here. Yeah, awesome. Now, you have such an interesting story. Uh, you are not what I would consider a classic lawyer. I know that you are a lawyer, went to law school, were uh, uh, involved in big firms, and uh, also worked in-house at Apple. Uh, so you've had a lot of the sort of uh, legal chops and, and obviously very strong in that regard. And you also have set up a coaching practice, which was a big transition and a big move for you to go from uh, legal into coaching. So lots of change in that, quite an unconventional career choice, uh, I guess I would call it. Um, tell us a little bit about your motivation. So how did you go from, you know, hey, I'm working as a lawyer on the East Coast and I'm a, you know, total badass doing all this great stuff to I'm going to go work for a big company like Apple, which presumably is very prestigious and and then you decide, hey, I'm going to leave this cushy job and go out and do something on my own. Tell us about th those series of transitions and what was going on in your life as you were making these changes. Definitely. How long you got? We got all day. <laughs> I got all day. The, uh, I practiced law for 15 years. I was on the East Coast as a, I clerked in the federal court. I was a law firm partner. And, uh, yeah, challenging practice, heavy litigation practice, billing, you know, sometimes 24, hundred hours a year, uh, maybe more, uh, really active, uh, an active agent, um, active in bar associations, active as a leader, uh, you know, you know, in, in the firm. And, and really, I felt like, uh, uh, pushing all the, all, all the, all, you know, checking off all the boxes I felt like, and. 10 years into that practice, I, I hit a wall uh, as a litigator. Um, I didn't say that at the time. I didn't share it with anybody. Uh, I, you know, I told folks it's time to make a transition. It's time to go in-house. But 
and I didn't feel comfortable as a litigator sharing that I had hit a wall, but it was, it was burnout. You know, back then it was, it's time for a change, but really it was burnout, uh, 10 years of a grind and, um, not feeling comfortable talking about it rather than having a conversation with the firm, um, and saying, Hey, it might be time to dial back. You know, I had a, I had actually a health incident that showed up, uh, at the tail end of one of my cases that was really a corner turning and, and happy to share more about that. Uh, but when that happened, I, uh, rather than having an open dialogue about it, which I talk a lot about now, just actually having an open dialogue rather than doing that, um, I fled the coast, you know, Apple was, uh, starting a team of, uh, uh, like a, a pre-litigation team or a deal negotiation team. And, uh, I rather than uh, sticking through it or or having that dialogue, as I said, uh, I fled the coast. I moved out to the West Coast. I joined Apple for five years. And when I got to Apple, I had a little bit more uh, time to reflect and think about my 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 health and my well-being, you know, sleeping in the evenings. As busy as a as a job as that is, when you're litigating, you know, sleep every night is not certain, but when you're at a company, there's at least you're getting predictable sleep. And so I had some time to, to contemplate, to think. Uh, and after 15 years in the practice, I started noticing something interesting that at both places, whether it be at a law firm or at Apple, um, you're trained to litigate and speak in courts, trained to, to take depositions at Apple. I was a company witness and so trained not only to take, but be on the, in the, in the hot seat, as people say. And, uh, negotiating deals, billion dollar deals, uh, all the things you're trained to articulate and advocate and represent. Mm -hmm. But then addressing difficulty with your colleagues was complex in a deep way, real meaningful difficulty, addressing issues about your own stress and your own well-being, addressing issues and challenges with your leadership, with your own leadership or the leadership style of the people around you. Uh, and then even addressing issues of identity. We've seen a lot of conversations around diversity and, and, and race and gender in the last many years. But back then, having a meaningful dialogue with your colleagues on these topics, being trained to advocate and articulate in courts, being trained to negotiate billion dollar deals, and yet having the inability or the environment to have a meaningful dialogue with each other to me just felt like something's got to change, you know? Oh, so you were trained to be this great communicator when you're sort of in, in lawyer mode, uh, be it in a boardroom or a courtroom or what have you, you're, you're trained to be a great communicator. And then internally inside the organizations, you're like, Hey, this is incongruous. I'm not able to have the conversations I want. People aren't able to re they're not able to be real. Mm. Not able to have a real dialogue, a real meaningful dialogue about what's actually happening. Uh, there's a cover up. There's a, uh, a, 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 a shield or an armor that we put on. Uh, we're not able to take it off. And so just noticing that in myself and in others, noticing the inability to get meaningful advisement, meaningful insight, real dialogue. Uh, after 15 years, I felt like that's what I'm interested. I'm interested in having this conversation about leadership. I'm interested in having this conversation about our well-being and uh, interested in having these conversations about diversity. And so I left the practice five years ago and started uh, the work I do today. Wow. And so that's a, that's a pretty big shift to go from, you know, a lot of support, big company, you know, presumably you've got a career path within Apple. There's, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of wind in your sails, so to speak, 
it's a big deal to say, hey, you know what? I really need to scratch this itch. I really need to go do this other thing. Uh, tell me about the reaction from your colleagues, your family. Tell me about the stories that you started telling yourself as you were going through this process. Well, you know, when you when you want to start anew, you ask 10 lawyers, you know, how they feel about it. You know, being in a community of lawyers, you ask 10 lawyers how they feel about it. And they're all going to warn you of the risks. They're all going to say, wait, be careful. What are you doing? What is this? Family included. And it's very hard. You know, it's very challenging because you feel deeply inside that something needs to change. Or I felt deeply that something needed to change. Uh, but you talk to 10 entrepreneurs and they're very bullish. You right. know, they're very the much are like, like, go for it, go for it, do it. Get it. What, you're going to need to hire people. I was like, hire people? Like, what are you talking about? I can't, I'm barely on my own. And so it was amazing, the contrast, talking to a, a group of friends and family that were entrepreneurial. And uh, they were very, very excited and bullish about the possibility of, of what I was up to. And so certainly a lot of pushback. Certainly, it's not only the community, but even myself. As a lawyer, we get trained to identify risk in the world. We get trained to actually create stability for people. People come to lawyers when they want to make sure that something's going well, it's going right. And so being in that position, we end up becoming naturally very risk averse. And so it's very hard, even as an individual, to listen to myself, to pay attention to what people need and to meet a need. Uh, it's simple, I think, or much simpler, as hard as it is, it's simpler to digest as an entrepreneur. I think it's much very much challenging for people who are raised and trained to identify risk and, and, and be a source of, you know, healing for risk in the world. Yeah. Powerful insight. If that's your framing, if your framing is risk reduction and trying to simplify complexity and trying to make sure that everything is smooth, sort of iron out the wrinkles, uh, that's essentially the total opposite of life as an entrepreneur, where you're flying without a, you're flying without a net and you know, who knows what's going to happen. And every day has this constant series of ups and downs uh, and so on. And you know, the big difference is you're no longer part of a big team. And when you become an entrepreneur, everything's on you. Like these are, everything's on your shoulders now. It is and it isn't. And so that's the thing that I'm learning and working with now. It is on your shoulders. And that's a mindset that I think we take on as entrepreneurs. Cause now I feel like I sit in that hat also and there's a deep learning to getting the support you need, you know, sh sharing the burden, uh, not always feeling like you have to be keeping the lights on. That feeling, I think there's a lot of story and lore about entrepreneurship that I'm also trying to challenge in this phase of my life, which is uh, we have a, a value at the company, which is go big with ease. We want to go big with ease. We want to mm -hmm. actually take care of it, go big with compassion. And so we want to go big. We want this company to do really well and we're growing. And yet at the same time, can we do it while we care for ourselves, while we care for each other, while we hear each other out, while we understand what's going on? And so there's a, a neat opportunity in this phase uh, as an older entrepreneur, as someone who's, who's taking this on at a later stage in life, there's a you know, caring for myself and my team is, is very much as, as important as the, 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 the path that we're trying to forge and the success we're trying to engage with. Wow. I want to explore your thoughts on that topic. Uh, before we get into the, how you're challenging those assumptions and going big with ease in 2023, um, I want to go back and revisit, you know, this, this kind of transition phase that you were talking about as, as a lawyer, when you were a litigator, uh, sounds like, so, so you use the word burnout to, to say, hey, I, I hit this wall. And, and you all, I also heard you say, 
you know, that you weren't willing to talk about it with people. You weren't willing to have real conversations, which in everything I know about burnout, that adds to the problem, right? We think it's, we think that sweeping it under the rug actually makes the problem go away, but no, it adds to the problem if we're not willing to, to talk about it. So um, this sounds like a really me- meaningful period in your life. Um, tell us, tell us what happened. Tell us the framing behind your, your thinking and how it changed, you know, pre and post. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, when you say, when you remind me that I wasn't willing to talk about it, uh, the, the tears actually start to well up because I think about not only myself, but a lot of people at work that have stress and challenge or difficulty and are trying to meet a moment and a standard and that, that it's tough and that, their inability to do that is hard for folks to talk about it and hard to articulate. There's not vulnerability is not a necessarily a word we used in conjunction with uh, with being a litigator or running a company, and mm-hmm. uh, certainly there's a lot of value to it. And so I was on a major international case uh, for Apple, uh, actually, you know, representing them outside uh, when I was in when I was at the company. I mean, when I was at the firm representing Apple. Uh, as a, as a one of their lawyers, and we were on this international case, and uh, it was at the close of discovery. You know, discovery close of discovery when we're, when we're done gathering information and, and ready to take the the case to to trial. And so, folks are flying around the world, and I was in the in California at the time in Redwood City, uh, right near SFO on the fifth floor of the Redwood City Sofitel Hotel. Uh, typing away and it was near midnight, you know, finished coordinating all of the efforts that were happening at the close of discovery. And I'm in bed. I shut my laptop and the entire left side of my body froze up. And I, I was maybe early thirties, mid thirties. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, this is it. I'm having it. Um, I had had a friend in that last year that it had a major heart issue. I had another friend that had a mini stroke. Um, Oof. There was an attorney on that case across the aisle at the other firm that died at their desk working on this case. Holy and shit. So all those thoughts were in my head as I was just sitting there with my body frozen. And so I didn't know what to do. I used my other hand. I caught, picked up the phone. I called my cousin, who's a cardiologist, and she's on the East Coast. So it's, I think it's like 2, 3 a.m. for her. And she's just like, hey, what's going on? You know, we get into a back and forth. And ultimately, it just came to, can you get to the hospital? And so front desk helped me get to the hospital, uh, go to the emergency room. And I spent the night at the hospital, you know, alone, no family nearby, in a hotel, at work, you know, writing, you know, filling the paper, entering and discharging by myself. And it was very isolating, you know, very alone. I just remember the cold morning coming out of a hospital. Ultimately, everything was fine. Everything was fine. It was stress. It was stress. There was uh, nothing else to it. Heart was fine. You know, lungs were fine. Health was fine. The basic test that they did in the ER. I went to see a cardiologist afterwards, a couple weeks later, Mm -hmm. my cousin, and uh, went through the whole, you know, we have heart disease in my family, we have diabetes in my family. And so there's a concern, but he's like, you know, this is just the, this is the lifestyle. This is the stress. Back then I would go to a doctor and the doctor would say zero to 10, how stressed are you? And I'd smile and I'd say, I'm a 12, give me a shot, send me back in coach. You know, I'm ready. 
And so that was the mindset of a litigator. Mm -hmm. That is the mindset of uh, some of us that are hard charging. And so this was a real waking up that to me, I heard your, my body is speaking to me and I want to now listen. There were many moments where my body was speaking and I chose not to listen. And at this moment, I said, it's time to change. And so I talked to one or two people at my law firm and I said, I think it's time for me to transition. I told one of them about the health issue and told them not to share with anybody else. And ultimately, Apple called and uh, had a spot, had a seat and uh, wanted me to join. And so I flew, like I said, I fled the coast. You know, back then I would say I moved to California, but now I'm fessing up. I fled, you were I fled running. the coast. Yeah, I was running. Yeah, I was hiding from myself. I was hiding you, from myself. And so uh, that, that, was, that was the shift. You were hiding from yourself. Yeah. And so just yeah. sitting with that, you know, not paying attention, not wanting to get real, not wanting to have a real dialogue and let people know who I am and what's happening. And just uh, rather than having a conversation, packing up the house, selling the house, packing up all of it and coming out here to start anew. And the stories within there are, if I share, uh, they'll think I'm weak. They'll think I'm not committed. I'm not as good as other people who haven't had this issue. What else? Yeah. Litigators. I mean, we are for real. Like we are for real. When I say bill in 24, 2,500 hours, that is not a simple thing. You know, all of the work, the time, all plans are soft until 30 minutes before you are just going and you are the people that folks hire to represent them and in a serious way. And so there's a huge shield, a huge facade, a huge armor and don't want to show any kink in the armor and definitely not want to share any weakness. I couldn't even say my health is shaky. I couldn't, I couldn't say a word. I didn't feel like I could say a word to my colleagues. My colleagues were lovely individuals, by the way, you know, people who I love, admire, respect, and still spend a lot of time with. And yet I felt very uncomfortable being honest with them about what was happening because how would they see me? Would they then hire me on the next thing? Would they consider me weak? All of these things, the questions that go through your mind. And so in self-preservation, not having any dialogue, well, I just want to acknowledge that you're talking about it now. And I know that pain can still come up and I know that fear can still come up. Uh, and so thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah, it's a relief to share it now. And it's a gift, I feel like, because I know that the more I share it, uh, it resonates with folks. And hopefully it invites, because literally what I do now, in part, some of the work that we do is in inviting people to have these difficult conversations, inviting people to share what's real and then see and allow the world to unfold based on that. And it's been an amazing, uh, amazing transition. So you, so, so let's go into that then. So you've taken your personal experience, both from this, you know, burnout as a litigator, but then also being at Apple and saying, Hey, I want to have more meaningful conversations and, and not able to. And you've created your own firm that does exactly that. And you have these great uh, values like go big with ease and how can things be more harmonious in the world. Um, tell us about those big mindset shifts as they happen for you and what you're now bringing out there. Yeah, when I left Apple, the years leading up, I had really dialed into my uh, a meditation practice and a yoga practice. And it was through those learnings and regular practice that I really started to notice a different way of being that was possible and just noticing 
uh, how how hard it was uh, for others at the company at Apple to just be to be real, to be upfront, to be honest, as I was saying, and have that meaningful dialogue, and just noticing uh, the value of those practices. And so when I left Apple, I took a year off. I took a year long sabbatical. Um, nice. Which was hard, and but but something that certainly folks listening relate to is just kind of starting anew and and starting fresh and uh, trying something difficult. And so I trained in that time first um, as a yoga instructor and a mindfulness instructor, and I did that just mm-hmm. by wanting to deepen the practices because of how much I had benefited in the years before. Uh, after I went through those trainings, I realized this is what we need at work. These are the tools, and so not necessarily wanting to have everyone in the office on their yoga mats. I trained as a coach, a speaker. Uh, I also trained in DEI principles, wanting to uh, incorporate those and, and really dial into those in this work. And a year later, I started this uh, organization. So we now uh, every single day speak at companies and speak with people and create spaces for these challenging conversations around leadership, around business growth, around well-being, and around DEI. And uh, being a uh, a space, a force for creating that conversation has been an incredible, incredible journey. And so we have a team of coaches and a team of facilitators now, where every single day we are working with individuals, working with teams, working with organizations, speaking in front of 50, 100, sometimes thousands of people, uh, talking about the way that we can be better to ourselves, better with each other for uh, a, a, a sort of a more meaningful engagement and existence. And this is so important for, uh, for the conscious entrepreneur community, because one of the things that I believe very strongly is you've got to do your inner work, you've got to be ready to, sh- uh, to show up yourself before you're going to see results in the external world. And so doing it on your own, be it meditation or yoga or learning how to improve your emotional intelligence, how to be a better communicator, uh, learning more about your needs or nonviolent communication, stuff like that. All those are important tools. And a lot of uh, people make the mistake of saying, well, I'll get to that stuff later. First, I need to build my business. First, I need to build my team. First, I need to do you know whatever it is that we're doing, and then I'll get to all that stuff. But the critical element is, for, for entrepreneurs, the critical element is, how do I build this into my identity? How do I just build this into my nature so that I am doing it, and then I can create the company I want, I can create the life that I want around that? What are the What are some of the tools that you will most recommend or kind of default to that are going to be helpful for someone who wants to deepen their personal commitment here? Yeah, I feel like there are many and the the few, again, just obviously starting with just basic care for your health in this whole process uh, allows you to support yourself and others in many ways. And so whether it's, you know, most people, physical fitness, some sort of mental fitness, uh, in creating spaces where you can talk about what's really happening. But then beyond that, obviously, I'm a big fan of meditation as a basic practice, five, 10 minutes a day of meditation, which a lot of entrepreneurs I know uh, engage with as mm-hmm. a way to settle uh, you know, with an app or without on your own. I think there's a lot of value. And whether it's, you, know, you can name the style of meditation, but some practice goes a really long way. And so when you get past the basics, uh, those basics, I feel like 
understanding yourself and deepening your awareness of yourself is an incredible tool. Just who am I today? Uh, a lot of us are fulfilling and following dreams that we have, may have set 5, 10, 15 years ago and pursuing something that was planted earlier. And yet just checking in again, who am I in this moment? What are my values today? What are my behaviors? What sets me, what gets me going? What sets me off? What's going on with me now? And so you and I have had amazing conversations about, you know, the Enneagram as a tool. And mm -hmm. I find that to be really valuable are, you know, assessments, you know, take some quizzes, figure out who you are today. There are many out there, you know, doing a Myers-Briggs, doing a Strengths Finder, doing a DISC, uh, some assessment that understands and gives you a sense of how you are in the world, uh, not only what's going on for you, but how you are received and perceived and how you engage with others. It's hard for us to often get that honest opinion from people around us. We don't all get the perfect 360 review. And so taking a little moment to just check in with who you are right now, and I mentioned the Enneagram is one of those, uh, and I find that to be the most valuable tool and really foundational for uh, the work that I do and the work that we do, which is just giving people a real deep understanding of who they are so they, they can then come from a place of self-awareness and authenticity in any work that they do. So I, I want to get into Enneagram and there's just two things I want to share before that. Uh, first is, so we had the second annual Conscious Entrepreneur Summit in June and you and I met in person in Boulder just a few days later. Uh, but the whole theme of day one of that event is who am I? And so we spent the whole time on understanding and uh, uh, digging deeper into that concept. The which is, so I think it was really cool to hear you talk about that. The other thing I want to share is you know I love that quote that is you know something along the lines of you don't see the world as it is you see the world as you are. You know, and so mm -hmm. this is behind you know all the stuff around the the assessments or the or the things that you can do to learn more about yourself and and how you're responding to things and uh, i got to admit i'm a little bit of a junkie on some of these so i remember having to do a myers briggs type you know first semester in business school and super loved it and and learned all about that and now thanks to you i've learned uh more about the enneagram and and how all that works uh, but for people who are new to the Enneagram, a lot of us have heard about it. I know there's whole podcasts and books and there's lots of resources on Enneagram, but you know, what is it? What's it all about? What's the impact? Why should I bother to learn this? How is it going to make my life better if I undertake learning more about the Enneagram? Yeah, well, I want to start with just reflecting back uh, what you said. What's happening inside of us? What's happening inside of you? Uh, has a huge impact on how you connect and relate with the world. And so however you are feeling in any moment, whatever is happening with you, if I'm having a good day, what's my interaction with Alex? If I'm having a bad day, what's my interaction with Alex? And so just mm -hmm. whatever is going on inside of you has a huge impact in the world around you. And so getting a better understanding of what's happening inside of you uh, is a huge tool then in, in, in how we engage and succeed in the world. Uh, the Enneagram. Yes, a lot of information out there and growing and generationally, uh, a lot of a lot of folks are, are really picking up this tool and using it as a way to understand themselves and each other. The Enneagram essentially, it's uh, it's less of a personality assessment and a bit more of a spiritual assessment, which is what I really appreciate about it. It really gets to you at your core. And essentially, it says that there are nine different ways of being 
nine different ways that people show up in the world. And so there's, there's nine types, you know, types one through nine. And the Enneagram is actually, the word Enneagram, I think actually reflects uh, these, an image that shows how these nine types interact. And so when you look up the Enneagram, the Enneagram Institute website is a great one. And you can see this image of how these nine types interact and connect. And so they say there are these nine types of behaviors, but that how we show up in the world connects and relates to and is an extension of our deepest fear the deepest fear that we have is what drives us the fear that we have our deepest fear is what drives us and now we all have common fears you know we all want resources we all want stability we all want some social security we all want to uh engage in healthy and loving relationships and so we all have these fears of what life would be without those things and so we all have common fears you and i can share and talk about common fears but one of those fears is more acute for you and one of them is more acute for me based on nature and nurture just how we were raised and how we showed up in the world there's something that's more acute with you based on your experience versus mine Mm -hmm. and our accounting for that fear our accommodating of that fear builds and shapes our personality. And so one example is people are social. People at your Conscious Entrepreneur Summit are mm-hmm. social. They're, inter- they're interacting, they're engaging, they're with each other. They like engaging with people around consciousness and around entrepreneurship. Correct. Some would say they're social. Uh, but what the Enneagram would say is, so, so you look at people, you're like, oh, I'm not social, they're social. I'm not social, they're social. And so they get along. And we have this way of thinking about social people in the world. We kind of, you know, it's a, it's a quality that we admire. They're really social. But what the Enneagram would say is they're social because they fear being alone. Mm. Right. You're gathering because of, you know, or you gather more than others because of a fear of being alone. And that's not a judgment. It's just a truth that because we, you know, might have some concerns around that. We are, you know, there's conference goers, people that, that attend. I love gathering. I love gathering. Right. And yet there's this, or, or I love big social groups. But it's, it's, as a, the Enneagram would say, it comes out of this fear of being alone. And so oftentimes we look at people's behavior. The Enneagram will also offer you the deeper insecurity that results in that behavior. Uh, what, what it feels like to be unsuccessful, therefore I achieve what it feels like to be to feel unvalued therefore i exhibit behaviors that uh that people will value what it feels like to be unhelpful oh, i hate the feeling when i'm not able to help somebody so then i help everybody and so it's really it, right on the table in front of you are our deepest fears and that's not a conversation that you and i that would necessarily start with when we meet in denver is hey right. what's your deepest fear you know we start with what we've done what we've been up to i went to this summit i led this summit and i did all this amazing stuff it's what i did and what i'm up to that we talk about the second layer isn't something that we get to and the enneagram puts it right in front of you it just lays it out and i think for a lot of people every time i share an assessment with them you know nine out of ten i ask them how was that and they're like man this thing was really honest with me and that's well that's uh, it's the distinction between uh human beings and human doings and we spend a lot of time talking about human doings and activities as opposed to who am i right that's exactly right that's exactly right uh and the fear i can imagine that the fears you know, when you approach it that way, that will trigger some people or give them certain uh, uh, biases that they do or don't want to do the exercise. Uh, and so uh, I, it sounds like we don't start with that part. We start with 
what are your drivers? And then, hey, therefore, what might be the fear that we're trying to mask underneath it? Yeah, then you're, the website's, you know, it's smart that way. It tells you, you know, you know, maybe parts of why you're amazing first and then parts of what we might find challenging later. It's sort of the second paragraph. And it's really neat because I think it needs to draw us in with some carrot. Uh, but to me, after really deep diving deep down this path, it allows me and others to acknowledge that that's the whole human. The whole human has things that we find amazing and loving and also that we find challenging and confusing. And that's a whole human. Find a human where that's not the case. And so the Enneagram just really helps put a healthy mirror up in front of us and allows us to acknowledge that we are whole people. And that's why I like it. Uh, in contrast to or in supplement to some of these leadership assessments that are out there that are all out there to just remind you about your strengths, a strengths finder. And what we need in in contrast to a strengths finder is like a weak finder where it's like you're actually, yeah. you know, what is it that's hard for you? And just noticing that also. And I think it, it, it balances both really well. Like what are my blind spots, for example? Like th that's that's the approach. Yeah. What do I not know about myself? What about mm -hmm. myself am I embarrassed about? What am I myself am I not comfortable with? What about myself is, uh, or are there days when I'm more challenging to myself and others? Are there moments in my life? The Enneagram is neat because it also acknowledges that when you are healthy, you exhibit some qualities. And when you are less healthy, you exhibit other qualities. Mm -hmm. uh, think about one of the hardest, some of the hardest parts of your life, you know, hardest moments. Uh, the challenging times when you experience loss or difficulty or distress or health complexity. And sometimes we say to ourselves, I don't, I don't feel like myself today. I don't feel like myself today. And, and that's because you're exhibiting different qualities. And so some assessments will just say, this is who you are. The Enneagram's neat because it's variable just based on where you are in your life. If you're in a much more settled place and in a healthy place, you might show up in a certain way. If you're in a less healthy place, we have friends and family that are in less healthy places. Uh, we they show up a certain way, and so it's nice to have that acknowledged. Our our humanity. So it's quite fitting then that I have a podcast on the conscious entrepreneur uh, because I'm a type five in, uh, investigator, and therefore I'm trying to figure out like what's really going on here, like what's actually happening in the world. Which, by the way, is the exact same thing that we do at the in person summit as well. And uh, according to what I've learned so far, and, and I'm really a novice, but what I've learned so far is that this is driven by a fear of being uh, helpless or incapable of helping others. So if I don't feel like I can do stuff, then I'm useless. So let's go figure out everything that's going on out there. And I've always had this like antenna, if you will, that was picking up information all around me all the time. Uh, as a way of, I guess, proving my value in the world? Yeah, and you value knowledge. You value mm -hmm. information. Is that fair? You're, you're an information seeker. You're a knowledge seeker. Yeah. And then you offer knowledge and information to the world as a resource and as a tool. Uh, I'm also going to guess five with a six wing. Is that, did it, did it share your wings? or did Problem you... solver, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a the six is is more uh, is sort of social. So that that would be the exact person that would host a okay. summit on this topic. Is like not only do I want to seek information, but I'm going to do it by gathering people. I'm going to do it mm. by bringing people together. And so it's really neat uh, to see how again 
we love you and we value you for your knowledge seeking and your information gathering and being a resource for the world through this podcast and through your summit. Uh, and yet we may not get to the fact that we're all here because of something that you're concerned about or afraid of, what it would be like to not have that information, what it would be like to not be that resource, what would happen if I didn't know. And that's what the Enneagram allows us to get close to. And so, Alex, I'm curious with you, how does it feel when you don't have the information or when you don't have the knowledge? What's that moment feel like for you? When I don't have information or knowledge or I've got big blind spots or unknowns, uh, I feel a lot of tightening, right? So I really feel a lot of like, oh, gosh, what's going on? How come I didn't see this coming or how come I didn't know about that? Or, you know, and, and stuff like that. Or why can't I get my head around it? So there's a lot of constricting for me. That tends to be how my body responds to stress is like constricting and drawing inwards. Uh, and so I do notice that. And so then when I can release it, and the way that I, that I typically do that is I'll figure it all out, I'll synthesize it all, and I'll give it to you in one sentence, right? And then that feels very rewarding to me. Like when, when I can take a something that's big and complex and just like, distill it all down and hand it to you. Hey, here's the answer. Here's what we were actually looking for. Then I'm able to more relax. Yeah. And so we're getting to the entrepreneurial aspect of it as I fix it. But before you fix it, what's that feel like, that complex moment? What's that moment when you feel like you don't know or you can't solve or you can't figure it out? What's that like? You mentioned the stress. Articulate that for me. What's the, what's the stress? Give me a word or two about how that feels. The underlying feeling there is hopeless. I feel hopeless. I feel hopeless. So what I mean when I feel hopeless is I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea why I'm here. I'm sitting on a rock floating around in outer space, and I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. How's that the, feel? How's that feel when you don't know what's going on? What's the feeling of hopelessness? What's a word or two to describe that? Then I feel this hopelessness and it's like, I'm, I'm terrified and it's just like, like black, like just like this fear. I, I feel scared and I just feel like this is blackness all around. Like, oh man. Yeah. And now how does that show up? in the body. What do you notice about the body when you feel alone and hopeless and scared and it's all black? What's the, what, what do you notice about the body? The, the blood rushes into my center. So I feel uh, more active in the center of my body. And Sometimes it'll pop into my head, like I'll feel rush up into my head, but mainly it's in the upper chest area, and it's and a so feeling of chest. it's a feeling of of I guess tingliness, but not active tingliness, passive tingliness, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and so it's in the sternum, right in the middle of the chest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it heavy? Is it tight? Or is it a knot? Like, describe and articulate that. 
it is a knot. And if I, it's an, it, so it feels like a knot. It feels like a constriction. And if I were to place it, I would say it's slightly below and behind where I think my heart is. So it's yeah, not my yeah, heart. Yeah. I think it's below and behind my heart. Yeah. And so is it the size of a golf ball or is it larger? Like what's the, what, how could you, if you could articulate it for us, what's the feeling? What's the size of it? It's not big. It's probably the size of a marble. Yeah. Yeah. And so now just noticing it for a moment and just sitting with it and allowing it to be there and just feeling into it. If we gave it a voice, what would it say out loud in that moment? It's warning you about something. What is it saying? It's telling me that the world is a dangerous place. Yeah, the world is a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. What are you noticing? How does it feel to share, share that out loud? When I, when I share it out loud, that the voice is telling me, or the, the sensation is telling me that the world is a dangerous place, I can then like consider that in reality and I can say, is it, uh, I mean, I've made it through 47 years so far, uh, intact, fairly intact. Uh, I have, you know, equipped myself through, you know, through the world. I have a lot of, um, up here beliefs that the world is not a dangerous place, that the world is benevolent and so on. So I think when I shine some light on it, I can, I guess I can, I, I become aware of it. And then I also wonder, like, can I relax into it or relax it even? Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a couple of breaths. Just, just take a deep breath okay. me, deep, deep breath me, deep breath in, long breath out. Let's do a second one. Deep breath in and a long breath out. What do you notice now? I notice more space in the area. Yeah, there's a space and there's a settledness. And yeah. so this comment, this question, uh, this noticing the world is an unsafe place. Uh, an incredible inquiry over time is, where does that come from? Where does that idea come from? Because like you said, there is this logic, I'm here, I've made it through 40 years, I've survived, I'm hosting this show and I'm hosting all sorts of things and I'm running a company. And so there is this truth that we're familiar with and yet there is this contrasting internal message that is deep as we identify, it's very deep. And so it's really neat to get curious in life about where does that message come from? Where did that start? How did that get lodged in there? And this is the type of investigation that can have a huge value in your life and in your engagement with the world, because you are very clear that, well, because of this feeling, I do this and I do that and I do the other thing and I move on and I fix it. And I got this amazing stuff and check it out. But what we welcome in this exploration of consciousness and this exploration of awareness is what's going on in that moment where'd that come from what's happening here and just being curious about that is an incredible what i feel like 
opportunity on that day one of a summit of just being curious about what's going on inside versus, you know, what we do afterwards and engage on the outside. Well, thank you, Radir, for that impromptu coaching session and, uh, and discovery. That was really, that was really cool. It was unexpected. I didn't know that we were going to have an opportunity to do this, but, uh, I, I really got a lot out of it. And, uh, so thanks for, thanks for taking me through that. Yeah. What do you get out of it? I'm just curious. What is the value of that? Well, the, the value of it. So, so I really like to understand what are the, what are the beliefs that I have that are not front and center that are not on the surface? What are the things that are happening? What are my like automatic programs that are driving me? And, uh, if I can become more aware of them and articulate them, like I just did to you, this fear that the world is, is a dangerous place, then I can, I've got awareness, but then I can also then, uh, you know, question it or like work with it or figure out, you know, Hey, what's really, what's really going on here. And so, uh, I love any opportunity to question those beliefs and to really get into you know, what's actually happening here. I love gathering information about how I gather information. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Spoken like a five. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for engaging. I really appreciate it. And it's so, just good and so, what do I, so how do I it. then, um, you know, make use of this as, as an entrepreneur, I'm a CEO, you know, let's say someone's running a, a, a team, they're building a business and they go through their own exercise, maybe like I just did, of learning and understanding about themselves and their beliefs and their fears and their motivators. And then they want to work with the rest of their team, or maybe they want to work with their investors or their customers, you know, you know, basically, or, or their family, right? Their spouse, what have you. Um, is Enneagram something that I'm just doing for myself? Like, is this, you know, just me? Or how am I using this in relation with others? I think starting with ourselves is a great place, you know, just deploying something, you know, company and firm wide uh, is has value, but starting with ourselves, to me, a deeper understanding of ourselves, our increasing of our own depth allows us to have a deeper understanding and awareness of others. And so knowing yourself first, just getting a sense of yourself, seeing how that changes your engagement with others, and then noticing that, and then going from that place has a lot of value. My whole team takes the Enneagram. It's like a day one activity. We talk about the results before we talk about the work. We just dialogue about what came up for you and what does that mean? I learned so much about my team. And so starting with ourselves, let's just say as an example, our company is an example, four years straight, we doubled in revenue. Um, I could go for revenue. Yeah, it was, just, it was amazing to be a part of coming out of, you know, not having been an entrepreneur and just diving into this path. Um, but I took year five and I said, uh, you know, winning, it felt like winning four titles, like nobody wins a fifth title in a row. It's not necessary. And so if you're a hard driving individual and that's coming from a place and maybe it's coming from a place of, of a deeper concern, fear, or insecurity, just knowing that about yourself has a lot of value. It allowed me to put a pause on this year and say, you know what, this year, we're not going to grow at that pace. We're going to focus, focus on people and processes. And I'm going to, lift my mind off of revenue. What organizational leader lifts their mind off of revenue for a year and just says, mm -hmm. no, not of interest. People and processes are so significant as I turn the corner into this next phase. But knowing that about myself, that I drive myself in this way, allows me to 
have a, t- have a tough conversation with myself, allows me to let others speak to me a certain way and say, we're not going to do that. And then it allows me to engage. When I find out the same thing about my team members, that they do great work, but they have discomfort sharing it out, that they're very opinionated on what's right and wrong. I know that about my team members and I can sort of assess whether this is actually something that's real, that they're actually concerned about, or is it just coming from an insecurity of theirs? And so knowing these things about myself and my team allows me to function what I feel like is an incredible way uh, with, you know, it's a very clean engagement. I'm not sitting here worried about what people are thinking and why I already know. And so I got a real sense of the people around me, what value they bring, why they're being difficult, why they're being easy. And I can take it all into account. And all of that information allows me to have what I feel like is a much direct and healthier relationship with my team and myself, and then allow me to sort of drive, drive engagement and behavior in a way that I feel like is more meaningful for all of us. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that one of the things you really like about the Enneagram is it's, it's a whole human view of, of the person. So maybe not a slice, maybe less of a moment in time and, and kind of a bigger picture. Uh, but I know that with men, many other sort of any, anything that puts a label on people, there's a risk that we default to like typecasting. Oh, you're saying that because you're a two. Oh, you're like this because you're a three or what, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, therefore devaluing some of that stuff. So how do I, how do I navigate around that so that I know who you are, I know who I am, and I'm not just like defaulting to, to some impersonalized way of dealing with that information? To me, it, it, you can write it off, you know, oh, that's, I'm writing it off because this is how they are. Or you can, you know, I have a colleague that has difficulty having difficult conversations, you know, and just dialing, just, just avoids it. And it gives me a lot of compassion for them. Because it comes from a much deeper place. It comes from an experience or an engagement they had before that I had nothing to do with. And so if they might not share something with me or they might not raise something with me, I have a lot of compassion and understanding for it. I might be a little bit more tough with someone that I know has comfort sharing things and say, hey, why didn't you tell me that thing? And they're like, oh, I, I didn't realize. But with this person, I take a bit more of a nuanced approach because it comes from a different place. And so it gives me a lot of understanding it gives me a lot of compassion. We all want to treat everyone fairly, and yet we can do that by not treating everyone the same. We all want to treat everyone fairly, and we can do that by not treating everyone the same. That's a great fridge magnet. You know, we, we like to connect. <laughs> we like to collect frig, fridge magnets here for for conscious entrepreneur. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I'm uh, gonna put on a t-shirt. <laughs> so, and what I'm saying is that if you want everyone to succeed at the organization, you can't treat them all the same. You actually have to engage with them differently as a leader. You understand that different people have different strengths, challenges, scenarios. And then when you are acknowledging and aware of that, then you can actually have a meaningful dialogue. It's like, hey, I know you didn't tell me this, but let's just get into the thing. I'm not going to hold them as heavily accountable because I know it's hard for them. This is actually really hard. Uh, It's hard for someone to not go off and find the answer, you know, and just sit with it. It's hard for people to not want to achieve at it. And so I, it gives me a lot of compassion and understanding for the people around me and a lot of patience. And that again, uh, allows me to go big with ease. I, I'm not sitting here holding people and, and making it tougher on folks necessarily if I don't have to. That's really, that's really inspiring. Um, one of the fears that I know a lot of people have, uh, is the fear of, not fitting in, of not belonging. 
And uh, I know that you have a story around kind of cracking some of that open for yourself. The the specific mechanism you used was a pair of red Jordans, as if I remember correctly. Uh, but you know, so switching topics here off off the off the enneagram a bit, but like, you know, a lot of people are stuck in these just kind of they're stuck in these routines and they're stuck in these really uh, kind of old needs of theirs. And there's so much beyond that, right? There's so much, if you can just get over whatever's holding you back, or as, as you put it, uh, kind of like that electric fence that's around cows, you know, like there's an electric fence around, around us. And so, you know, I'd love to get your reaction to how can we overcome some of these perils of fitting in or, or what can we really do to, bust through these electrical fences, or in some cases they're totally made up and there is no fence that's, that's holding us back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, forgive the plug. I'm writing a book on this topic and it's very much aligned with your way of looking at things, which is inner work first and then outer work second. And so I will, I'd love to keep you posted on that and maybe I forgive the plug. What what are the details about the book? Yeah, yeah. Well, it deals a lot with these electric fences. It deals a lot with these electric fences. I notice, obviously, through coaching thousands of people now, that people have these electric fences around them. They have blockages and they don't approach certain things. It's an avoidance. They might think, I'm succeeding and I'm crushing it. And I'm like, yeah, but you're only doing that because you're avoiding that thing over there. And so there's these things that we go forward with, and yet there's an avoidance of something. And I, I, I think about it as an electric fence because people literally can't see them. And so the the Jordans is an amazing example. I used to show up at work every day with a certain type of uh, clothing, sort of a bit more subdu- subdued, a bit fitting in. And that was my way of, of I, just thought, I just thought that was my style. You know, I'm from the East Coast. I like the fall, dark colors, you know, neutral, everything kind of the same color and, you know, pseudo Steve Jobsian, whatever you want to call it. It's like, here's how I show up. And so I was noticed your, was your day, beard a little bit more trimmed back in the day? Yeah, too? yeah, clean shaven all around. Clean you can shaven find even. pictures on the internet. You know, nothing, nothing standing out. Always fitting in, and you know, Banana Republic right down the middle, right? So it's like, uh, you know, I w- w- showed up a certain way, and then I took my enneagram as an example, and I realized, oh, I do this out of a fear of not fitting in. You know, like I, I, I wanna, I have to fit in as a survival mechanism. And so then one day, I, you know, I, I remember I just, as a kid, obviously, you know, grew up in a, in a Jordan era and just loved Jordans and couldn't afford them as a kid. And in this deep feeling, I was like, you know, I just, I bought a pair of red Jordans and I put them on and I wore them to work. And this is way outside of my comfort zone in a social setting or at work, especially at work, even in a social setting. But I remember coming in that day and heart, you know, beating out of my chest, nervous, sweaty armpits at like 9am. And I, you know, I took a, took a bus into work. So there's no, there's no commute. And I'm just like really nervous about it. And I remember the entire day going by and almost 30 people, Hey, amazing shoes, nice shoes. You know, top everybody at the company from the janitor to the VP, like you name it, everybody was, was coming up to me and talking to me about these things. And I just thought I am hiding myself. Like here I am, uh, if I, if I went in contrast to my tendency, I experiment with it. Um, I learned something about myself. I learned something about each other. And so the way that I think about it, the way that I talk about it is, is a lot of us are three feet back from the edge of the diving board. Like we're in this safe place. And again, it could be some aspect of our life. Let's not 
talk about the things that we're succeeding at. Think about the areas that we're kind of playing it safe. And so three feet back from the edge of the diving board, nobody talks at a cocktail party about three feet back from the edge of the diving board. It's like, but this is where we sit. You know, the edge of the diving board, you move three feet up, you get closer to it. It makes you uncomfortable. It, the heart starts beating out of the chest a little bit. You're nervous, you're scared, but that's where the excitement is. And that's how I felt when I put those shoes on. And so now, you know, public speaking is another thing. I used to get nervous talking in front of six people giving a toast at dinner. Now I speak in front of thousands of people and I love it. And so what I started to do was experiment with the aspects of my life that I noticed I was having difficulty with. And it took a lot of deep investigation to start to unearth those things because again, it's an electric fence. I can't just ask you point blank, hey, what are you avoiding? No one's gonna deal, you know, share that up front. But with deeper analysis, investigation, working with a coach, uh, talking with a therapist, or just really understanding yourself, a learning uh, mm -hmm. through tools like the Enneagram or others, you start to notice the things that you might avoid, a conversation with somebody, a particular step, taking it easy. For some of us, taking it easy is the hard thing. And so just noticing that and starting to experiment with a little bit, you know, a single pair of red shoes, a talk at dinner. Uh, saying something in a certain way, trying, avoiding a meeting or stepping into a meeting, doing little things that challenge your natural tendencies and noticing how that, what that does to the body and does to the mind and what we tell ourselves consciously and subconsciously. And that experimentation, experimenting with what's happening, uh, I find to be an incredible life experience. And there is such a, an amazing external landscape in the world, but there's this profound internal landscape that I investigate now. And that's a part of it is just by challenging these ways of being. That's so great to hear. And there is so much alignment between what I hear you talking about and the things that I love and I love to explore and that we talk about at Conscious Entrepreneur. And I so appreciate you showing up and just like, sharing a new vocabulary and a new way of thinking about these really, really important things. Now, Radir, as we wrap up here, I've got some questions I want to get a little bit deeper on. And uh, the first one is, you know, you, we've talked about conscious entrepreneur. What is your definition of someone who is a conscious entrepreneur? So it comes back to this value of going big with ease or maybe just going big with understanding. And entrepreneurship is not simple uh, survival, right? Just a business that survives and grows is not an easy thing. And so to survive, to keep something alive and to grow while being self-investigative, curious about yourself and curious around those around curious about those around you, I think is that amazing uh, marriage of the two that I am doing this in a more thoughtful way because we know of the not thoughtful entrepreneurs. We know of the non-conscious entrepreneurs. We know what happens. And the impact is significant, not only on the people that you're serving, customers or clients, but also on your teams. And so there's this huge impact of running a company in a not conscious way. And so when we do it in a conscious way, in an aware way, aware of ourselves, aware of others, and then marry that with amazing impact, amazing growth, amazing opportunity, uh, it is the next level. It's not something that we read about in the business books of the last 25 years, but we are certainly reading about it, investigating it, excavating it, and, and modeling it now and going forward. And that's who I want to hang out. That's the summit that I want to be at. I want to spend time with people that are really being curious about a better way of being with ourselves and each other and our customers and our clients. 
That's our tribe. That's our tribe. Uh, now tell us what you mentioned that you, uh, that you are into meditation and staying healthy. What are your personal practices? So what's a, what's a typical day, week, you know, day, uh, or week for you? Uh, physically Pilates, I had back surgery a couple years back. And so mm. the recovery from that, uh, you know, we can talk deeply about the impact of being a lawyer and sitting at a desk for many years, but mm. leading oh, to, yeah. uh, herniated disc and, and back surgery. And so Pilates is really valuable, uh, working on big and small muscles and breathing. Uh, I find that to be a really supportive tool, certainly meditation, daily practice for me and yoga uh, swimming. And then, uh, now I have, uh, diagnosed two weeks ago with arthritis in my left ankle. And so it's, uh, non-impact, uh, physical exercise. So elliptical swimming and weights. And so those are the, the physical things, um, mental, emotional, spiritual meditation and an inquiry practice. And so I am always engaging in a practice with myself and, 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 and guides that I work with on just being curious about what's happening with the world. And that has been a profound, profound source of growth for me. Fantastic. And of course, today we dove deep into Enneagram, uh, but what are the other resources that you most like to recommend to entrepreneurs? This could be books or videos or courses or programs. What are the things that, that you Give, give away the most. Yeah, we're, a, we're an EOS company, so I love traction. I love thinking about sort of the structure of growth. Um, I love the DISC assessment because it allows us to see how we, you know, before the Enneagram, DISC, I think, is great on teams because it allows you to see how you behave and how others behave when you're under stress and duress. And so I find that to be great. And so to me, you know, people and processes and then organization, visioning, and growth. And so there's so many books about that, that, that I think are fantastic, but traction to me is the system that we use love and really kind of, uh, support. And then beyond that, increasing in, in, in the awareness of your team through the tools that we've talked about. Fantastic. Well, Hey, Rudir, I just want to acknowledge that you came on this show. We did not do a lot of prep and you were willing to share some really vulnerable and powerful moments in your life. And then you took me through a really powerful exercise. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing to help change the world. And so thank you for being a leading light. Thank you for not fitting in. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here on the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. I love you, brother. Thank you so much for having me. This is really incredible. And uh, thanks for folks who are listening. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. If you're ready to go deeper into working on yourself, check out the upcoming events, articles, and resources on our website, which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us. I'd also really like to thank the team at Hivecast for producing this episode. If you run a podcast and are looking for an awesome, full-service production company, make sure to check out Hivecast.